You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. Uh, Unshakable, let's go to Hebrews 12. This is our text we're reading from. So Hebrews 12 and uh, verse 28. It says, therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. I'll put this on the screen for you as well so you guys can see it. Uh, in case you don't have the, the marker there. And this version, this is a New American Standard Bible. So I just say that sometimes because there are many uh, versions, there are many translations, and there are paraphrased Bibles. This is, in your language, this is the most accurate uh, English translation available. And I don't argue about it. It, it just is, okay? I, I don't have time to argue about that. It just is. You can read other Bibles if you want to, but I'm using this because there is so much fact-checking today about everything you talk about. So I don't, I was using a more of a um, thought-for-thought translation. Nothing wrong with that. I read from those. They're great Bibles. The problem is sometimes you'll read a word and it's not exactly what, and then people want to fact check you on it. So I've just decided that, you know what, I'll bypass the whole situation. I'm just going to the best translation in our language. So anyway, therefore, since we've received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service, which is worship. So I want to say this again uh, before going through. Um, so I, one of the reasons I am playing and my wife is singing is we just felt, both of us separately, it's kind of interesting, both of us separately. Um, I just didn't know how I could make it work. Um, but the more that we do it, the easier it gets making it work uh, time-wise and, and all that kind of stuff. just really felt like... Um, they're in the area of worship for us as a church to stop for a moment and consider why you're here. Um, that you came here today. If you came here, and I, I'm going to love you in Jesus' name in a loving way, tell you this, okay? Respectfully, but I'm going to love you through this, com- what I'm about to say, okay? Love me back, all right? But if your thought was coming in the door that I came here for a word, that's fine, but that shouldn't be the reason you came. That should be the second reason you came. Because if that was the first, then who's first right now today? It's you. And I'm glad, listen, I'm glad you came forward. I, I really, I want the Holy Spirit to help you. I really, I want the Holy Spirit to tell you and minister to you. That, my soul heart, please don't hear me, please hear the Holy Spirit. But the number one reason you should be here is first for Him. And I'll pro- and listen to me, I, I just feel this, I'm, I'm not a... I don't consider myself to be a prophet, okay? But I will sometimes have a little little something there. And this is one of those times, okay? If you would come and worship, you would hear from the Holy Spirit way faster if you would worship first. If that would be the first thing on our minds was to come in to worship God, not the songs, not the people, this Jesus. Worship God first, then that word that you're looking for, it would come faster, it really would, because your eyes get on him and that worship, which is his first. It, it really, I'm, as a believer, I'm just telling you, number one thing we're called to do is to worship God. It is a testimony uh, to many people around you being here today. Uh, it is a testimony to many people that see, why do those people show up every weekend and do this? Why do they do that? It's to worship God. And yes, we want to hear from the Holy Spirit, but we want to worship God, and I'm promising you, I'm telling you, if you worship him, he will, he'll give you the word that you're looking for, okay? All right, so anyway, so take that um, as you want there. Anyway, so we offer unto God an acceptable service, which is our worship. 
But we do this with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we're going to talk today a little bit about the reverence and awe part of this whole thing about shaking. What we've been doing in this series is this idea of, of the world around us and so many things that are shaking that are causing people to get a bit, a bit unnerved and, and fearful and um, cause a bit of anxiety. So the idea of reverence here is actually the word called fear. So there's a couple of different words about fear. And uh, it's funny because when you ask people this question about how many of you fly in airplanes, you have been in an airplane, you've flown in an airplane commercially. Let's just ask that first. You've, you, let me see your hands. If you've flown in a commercial, like you went to Atlanta, not Russell Field over here. You've been to Atlanta, so a commercial airplane, you've been on one. Raise your hand. That's most of us in the room. You think, I will never fly. I promise you, probably before the end of your life, you will fly. Because so many people are moving now and things are going all over the world. Travel has become uh, very much a fulfillment of prophecy that if you go back and look in the Old Testament, you'll see this. Knowledge would increase. People going to and fro. It's happening all over. You can get anywhere you want to in the world within about three, two, maybe three days at the most. You can get anywhere in the world. It's crazy. So um, now how many of you have been on one of these smaller planes, like a two-seater? Like you went on Russell Field, you've been on one of those. Raise your hand. Look, look how many less hands went up. And there's some people say, I will never get on those things. It's like a tin can, you know, whatever. You're, you're right. You're totally right. There's no doubt about it. Um, we had a friend in Tulsa, Haley and I used to work for. He's a great guy, very wise individual. He got his pilot's license. And so we go out there and um, to for something, I can't remember why we were out in Tulsa, but we were back out there after school. And so he's like, hey, I'll take you guys up an airplane. And so I, I wasn't thinking about anything else other than, that's awesome. Let's do it, man. I mean, this is the guy that I was going to take her for our anniversary one time. I, I, I rolled the dice on this, okay? One was uh, taking a, a flight in a um, a biplane. It's like the two-wing thing, doing stunts and all that kind of stuff. Okay, I was going to take her. We're going to do that for anniversary. That's what we're going to go do. Or pottery, making pottery, right? That was my two things on the on the deal. I was like going, like, well, which one would she probably prefer? <laughs> I was going the biplane. <laughs> Be awesome, but she gets motion sickness, so. I decided less motion sickness chance by spinning the pottery than her spinning around in an airplane. So we went to the pottery. Uh, I picked the right thing, she told me later. You, you did well. If you'd have picked that, she said, I don't even know if I would have gotten the plane. So anyway, um, but those little planes are interesting. They're very small, very light. They take off. And so we got in this thing with him, and you should have heard him. He's doing this all this check, checklist, checklist, checklist. It's, it's so many little things. It's such a small plane, I didn't think there could be that many instruments on it. He's going, and I can't remember his little call sign, Charlie, Charlie. K31 or whatever, they're going to the tower. Tower, yes, Charlie, Charlie, K31, you're approved, Tango 03, blah, 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 blah. This, it's like nonstop. I'm like, man, when is he going to take off? And he's going, check, check, oil pressure, check, this, that, flaps, down, flaps, up, landing. He, all the, he's talking out loud. Nobody in the plane can figure, we don't know anything about the plane. He does. But he's talking out loud as if we should understand. What he's doing is he's verbally giving an agreement to what his checklist is. Finally, we get through with it. We, we take off, and all he's going to do is circle the airport with us. He did that. I thought, so cool, man. I'm like, this is awesome, man. And then, you know, we come in, and as we're coming down, the, the, the runway is so big. I mean, I thought, my goodness, why does he need such a big runway? It's massive. He lands a plane. We pull over. Fun. Great day, you know. The interesting thing about it, you know, when you think about this with pilots, you would, you're very appreciative that they are the way that they are. They go through all these checklists and do all these verification processes over and over again. And when they're landing, the runway is, is huge. 
I mean, but they do it for interesting reasons. Why? So in other words, um, when you're landing, if, if there's a wind shear coming across this way, planes drift a lot. And you need a wide runway so that in case it happens, you can land the plane. It, you need long, uh, great lengths of runway for bigger planes in case they can't stop. You know, if they come in, there's tailwinds or whatever. Whatever the case is, you need extra runway in case something's not right. It gives you more time to stop. Aren't you grateful for all that? <laughs> but, you know, and sometimes we have great fear about flying. I know people, we all do. And you can say you don't, but more people pray when they're on an airplane than any other time in their life. It's, even though you have more accidents in cars, more people will pray on an airplane than they do in their car. No one thinks about praying in their car. You should pray in your car because, you should pray anyway, because uh, more stuff happens in cars than do airplanes. But, you know what's funny is, my friend, he didn't do this, and pilots won't do this. They don't ignore air traffic control. They don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, I know I'm fifth in line, but I'm going to take a shortcut. I'm going to go on the side over here. I'm going to take off on this side. You don't do that. You know, they don't ignore the runway, the lights, the landing, anything like that, because it's so precise. And what they have is, they, the pilots aren't afraid of the airplane or the process, but they have great reverence for the process. We, on the other hand, tend to have a little more fear because we don't know what we're doing. Unless you're a pilot, we just don't know. But they come in and they land, but they have great reverence for the process. They don't ignore the length of the runway, the width, the air traffic control, and what they tell them because they know it's many times life and death or, or you know, great injury or whatever. And I want to say that because sometimes I think with the Lord, it's like that in our culture, in our lives today, I think sometimes we think because it's Christianity and because God loves us that because the runway is so long and the runway is so wide and because he's so filled with grace and mercy that for sometimes people think it doesn't matter. I, I know my instruments say this, but I'm just going to wing it. It'll be all right. You know, it, but it does matter with God. He does give us great runways. You know why? Because he knows we drift sometimes. Like <laughs> He knows like, hey, 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 let me get you back over here. Let's all be honest. You, you'd be doing good one day and all of a sudden something hits you out of nowhere. And you're like, <gasps> you're not supposed to be fearful, but all of a sudden you are for a bit until you what? Get stuff back in order. You, you drift. You got, oh man, I could get back on the God's word. Man, this is really bothering me. It happens, so he knows that, but the runway is wide for a reason, it's to land, it's long for a reason, it's to land. It's not to just wing it or guess it and just keep letting yourself drift, because eventually you run out of gas and you have to land the plane. And this is what I hear a lot of times from this, and so I'm going to talk to you today about a little bit about approach. I'm not a pilot, don't pretend to be one at all. I, I don't even understand half the time, you know, what they do. All I know is the old phrase, there's old pilots, there's bold pilots, but there are no old, bold pilots. Think about it. So if I was going to fly, I want an old one, okay? Anyway, but so many times, this is mentioned, um, we have heard, you've heard this saying before probably at some point. Um, it's not about how I approach God because God knows my heart. He knows my heart, so it doesn't really matter. He knows my heart. And this is what is said so much because... It is an idea that, well, it's okay. Nothing, because God knows my heart, everything else is okay. And I'm just telling you with the Lord, how we approach God really does matter. It, it really does matter. Um, let me give you an example. When you come in for worship, I, I love you, I'm going to love you through this, love me back, okay? All right? When we come in for worship, don't wait until the fourth song to say, okay, I'm here for you now, Jesus. 
Come in on the first song. It'd be like, you know what, Lord, I've got this going, that going, this going, and you know everything. Because you know my heart. It's true. But I'm going to lay all that aside for a minute, God, because I'm here to worship you. And so, first song. I'm just seeking you this morning. You know, we got up here and prayed this morning before you guys got here. And one of the things they were praying was, Lord, um, help us to worship and honor and worship you with our voices, honor you with our singing. And God, let it not be <clears throat> us, but let us honor you in our worship today. Because we, it's not about us as individuals. It's about the Lord. So we want to worship God, but our approach really matters. So let me just read this to you um, out of... Um, it asks the question, does the approach really matter? Does it matter? It does. I'm going to read you a story from uh, 2 Samuel 6 and verse 3 and a couple other thoughts. But um, as I do, I'm going to talk to you about the ark. And as I show in Piper this, she was looking over my notes last night and she saw uh, this picture. So I'm going to show you this first picture here. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, so she saw this. This is in my Bible study. And um, I was going to do some others, but I have copyrights for this so I can use these things. There's others, but she saw... You see the ark on the far left over there by the cherubim, right? So it's kind of small. But it, in case you're one, if you've never seen this before, that, that thing right there, the little box, that's the ark of the covenant. So she sees this, and I could explain this little stuff later, but she sees this and she goes, whoa, dad, it's Indiana Jones. <laughs> so, yeah, babe, it, it, it is. You know, you're right. <laughs> so and it's true. It's a great, great movie. Um, you know, Hollywood, misinterpretations, whatever, but... Nonetheless, if you remember the movie, what did what was one of the biggest issues Indiana Jones kept telling them? Don't mess with that thing. Now, he had a fear of it. They all had fear. It wasn't reverence. It was fear. But those who didn't pay attention to what he said, they it cost them their life, right? How you approach God really matters. Now, this is Old Testament. I know that. But just hang with me for a moment, okay? 2 Samuel 6 and verse 3. I'll put this on the screen for you. Make a marker in your Bible. Write it down. You can read the stories later. But it says, they placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Now, there's a couple of Abinadabs in the Bible. They're not related. It's not the same person. There's like two or three pretty close in this story, like David's brother's Abinadab. This isn't the same God. Just understand there's lots of Johns. There's lots of James. There's lots, you know, this is different people. So Abinadab, they, they, they might bring it from the house of Abinadab. We'll give you some backstory in this in a minute. Why is it at some guy's house? Why is it not in the temple? Which was on the hill... And, you know, we'll call him Uzzah. What's up, Uzzah? You know, kind of interesting name, right? Uzzah, and that one's a little bit different. Like, I don't know, I want that one, but we'll call him Ohio, okay? <laughs> the, the, the sons of Abinadab, they were leading the new cart. <clears throat> so they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Ohio was walking ahead of the ark. And meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of firwood, with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. They had a praise team just rocking it out, man. They were just, they were doing all that stuff. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out towards the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. It means that it hit a bump and maybe about fell off the cart, okay? And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down for his, say it together, his what? irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. Now, you may think, you know, when I read this, first time I started reading this, I go, well, that kind of stinks. You know, I mean, here's a backdrop on this. This thing had been in this guy's house for 20 years. 20 years, these boys been taking care of the ark, looking after it. You know what I'm saying? And here we are for 20 years. You've done good. And the thing's about to fall off the back of the trailer. 
Didn't put straps on it. You know what I'm saying? You ever seen guys with lawnmowers, whatever, on the back of the trailer going down the road? Nothing's tied down. Uh, these were these guys. I guess they didn't think to tie the ark down. It's about to fall off. And all Uzzah did was, and boom, irreverence, he tied. I read this and I go, it seems unfair. Does it not? I mean, maybe you don't want to say it. You're like, hey, given the story, the content, I'm leaving this alone. To me, I'm sorry. I'm just human. I, I go, I, that ain't cool. I just, I had to pray, look over it, and you know, this is years ago when I first started reading the Bible and different things. But when you go back and understand the backdrop, you have to understand as to why it makes sense. So, again, this thing's been in this house for 20 years. But they put it on a cart to take it to, you know, into, back to Jerusalem. So it's, when you read this, go back and look at some of this stuff, and you and this will make more sense. So we're going to go now from, we just gave you that. That was 2 Samuel 6. Don't get confused here. We're going to go now to 1 Samuel 6. Kind of wild that it's the same, cha- same you know, verses, but different books of the Bible. Interesting story. So anyway, a little backdrop here. They're moving this ark out, been there 20 years. This guy reaches his hand out, he dies because he tried to study it. Before that, it was in the Philistines. They had captured the ark. These guys are carrying it around. Nothing happened to them. Nothing. And they had held on to this ark for seven months. And, but during the process of this seven months, all kinds of plagues, problems, tumors, rats, you name it, was driving them crazy. I mean, and so after seven months, they had enough. So they said, man, what will we do? So they called on their, they're called diviners, diviners in the Bible, they, they manipulated magic, magic, magicians, witchcraft, whatever you call it, but that's what it was. Uh, mediums, you want to call them spiritists, whatever. And their priests, their priests are not following the Lord. These are their own Baal and all that mess, okay? They called on them to get instruction, and this is what they told them to do. First Samuel 6, verse 6, it says, Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? Now these boys, they might not have been following the Lord, but they got enough sense to realize, you better, you know, let's don't be like the Egyptians here. He said, when he, talking about God, when he had dealt severely with, uh, severely with them, did they not allow the people to go and they departed? Now, therefore, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows, two milch cows, whatever, on which there has never been a yoke, and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. This is what it looked like. So let me show you this uh, next picture here. Yes, have that. So you see the, right here, that's what it would have looked like. There's the trailer, there's the cows or the oxen. They got the thing on the back of the trailer. And says, now look, they sent this thing on, the Philistines. They sent it on out to Israel. They've been holding it for seven months. They sent this thing out there to, and it goes up, and this is when they go and put it into Abinadab's house, and they keep it for 20 years later, okay? But this is the first out of the Philistines' camp. They see this, the people do, and look their hands up. They're rejoicing. I mean, even the scriptures say this, that when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it, because here comes the ark. Wow. Man, God is, to them it meant God is returning to us, right? And so then they don't know what to do. They have no real place. They have nothing to, so they put this thing in Abinadab's house and it stays there for 20 years. Now, can I remind you what happened with Uzzah? He reached his hand out, steadied the ark, because it's about to fall off the trailer. Now, can I ask you a question? Where did they get the idea to put the ark on a trailer? Philistines. 
God's holy, most holy thing in this time, they put this on the back of a trailer the same way the pagans who hated God did. And as they did this, let me just go and read you another verse of Scripture that someone should have went back and asked some questions before messing and touching with this. So let me read this to you, Exodus 37, real quick. Exodus 37, verse 1. It says, Now Bazel made the ark, talking about the ark of the covenant, of acacia wood. Its length was two and a half cubits, and its width was one and a half cubits, and its height was one and a half cubits. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and out, and he made a gold molding for it all around. Watch this. Next. He cast four rings of gold for it on its four feet, even two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to what? To carry it. There's nowhere in the Bible that they were told to put the ark of God, the holy presence of the Lord, on the back of a trailer behind some animal. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, was always intended to be carried by us. We were the ones that were supposed to be the standard bearer, if you will. Not perfection. Please don't think about perfection this morning. Oh my gosh, what's he talking about touching the ark? Am I going to die? No, please. Forget all that stuff for a moment. We're not talking about that. The runway's wide, the runway's long. Okay? For a reason. God knows we're not perfect. However, there are some things that are so holy to God and precious to God that he says, this is how you deal with it. This is how you do it. And you don't sidestep and follow paganistic or cultural thoughts about who God is because it fits the narrative of the day. You're supposed to carry this presence of the Lord. So let me show you this third picture here. There it is right there. So it's not the best picture I get that, but um, it's a painting. You see this. This is the pole. There's the rings. There's the ark. They're supposed to carry this for people. Now, you would think after all that time of 20 years, this thing sitting in a house, someone would have stopped and said, what are we supposed to do with it now that we have it? But instead, hear me very carefully this morning, they allowed what they saw in the earth, the cultural methods of the day, to inform them on how they should relate to God. And can I just say something? I'm going to tie this in right here with all of us right now. You want to know why you see so many things shaking? I'm going to tell you why. It's because we have forgotten how to relate to God. Our nation thinks we can ask God to bless what he will not bless. And we think it's okay. We have a world today who says, well, it doesn't matter. It's all okay. It's, it's just really okay. It doesn't matter. And God will bless it. But he won't bless it. But we say that he will and wonder why things are going wrong. I was watching the other night, you know, Haley, I watch these little National Geographic things. She gets tired of it. You know, she puts the audio book on and that's it. She's out. So, but I'm watching this thing on severe weather and all this kind of stuff. And you realize in the last, less than a month, in our nation alone, you have a state that is in the middle of the ocean. It's on fire. It's burned to the ground. One whole island of Mount, just about burnt to the ground. From a, a, Hawaii is not supposed to have wildfires. You understand? That's not normal. That's in like, you know, the plains area. Maybe up north where there's you know high timber area. This is palm trees. A hurricane comes up the Pacific coast. 
And everybody's going, we've not ever seen this before in our lives. It must be climate change. Well, maybe it is climate change. Maybe it is an issue. But it, instead of blaming oil companies, it'd be good if some people would stop and go back and see what does God say. Because some of this stuff, in my opinion, is warning signs. Is to say, you know what? If we'd start carrying the ark right, if we start carrying God in the way that we're supposed to, um, we might stop seeing so much of this stuff. And it's not God sending it. Please don't misunderstand. It's not God sending the pain. I mean, he's very much clear in Romans that because we have a depravity of mind, and because in Romans 13, because we will not follow instruction or submit because of our rebelliousness, eventually he gives people over to that. And he actually says he'll give them over to a depraved mind or a dep- depravity of mind so that they do the most foolish things you've ever seen in your life. Eventually God just says, okay, you have it your way. It's like Burger King. Whatever you want, it's what you're going to get. It's just, it's silly, but that's... And God is saying to us as believers, listen, this morning, what approach are you using? Are we allowing the world around us to tell us how we're supposed to carry God? Like, because at some point, is it going to get intimidating if you come to church and people say, you go with that Christian bunch... And those Christians always cause them problems. Will you still worship God? If they start saying it's not cool anymore. It's an interesting thought, right? But, so let me ask you this question. Whose approach are you using, okay? So let me put out some famous Christian statements that I've heard, you've heard, everybody's said it before at some point, okay? So let me put this up on a slide for you, real quick. Here's some interesting statements, right? You ever heard this before? I worship God when I want to. So like when I say things like come to church and worship, people say, well, I can worship at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. I pray to God when I need to in my own way. I choose my tithe amount and I give if I feel I can. It's between me and God. I know that's what the Bible says, but God knows my heart. I have heard all this stuff as a pastor ever since I've been in the ministry. I've heard every one of these and more. And I always tell people, and people think I'm like this mean heart guy. I'm really not. I'm just not. Ask my wife. She, look, if she loves me. And she's about the sweetest person you'll ever meet in your life. If I was that mean, she would never stay with me, you know? And she's never threatened to leave me not one time. You know, I'm a nice guy. Ask my kids. I'm a nice guy. Now, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, put me in the corner. Listen, I'll box your ears off. I'm, I'm not, I'm saved, but I'm not that holy. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm not that. If that's what you're looking for in a pastor, you got the wrong one. I am not that great. Okay. Anybody knows me to tell you, but here's the thing. I'm not a mean guy. But if somebody says to me, well, pastor, I can worship God when I want to at home. Of course you can. And you should. No one's saying you can't. But what they're saying is, you you can't tell me I have to worship at church, too. I worship at home. That's all that matters. Well, if you have to, that's true. If you're sick or this, of course you do. People, of course. But there is an assembly of the saints And it's called congregational worship. And it matters to God. But, you know, if I've heard, boy, since that pandemic thing, son, if I've heard this over and over again, well, I can just have church at home. You can, of course. But that is not the method of God. That's the if you have to kind of situation. You know what I'm saying? Y'all get me, right? Okay. These are real statements that we have said, but I'm going to ask you a question right now. You notice anything that stands out in these statements right here? What, what is standing out? 
There's a lot of I in all that, right? Um, who does that remind you of? There's somebody in the Bible who used a lot of I. And so let me put it on the screen for you. See the scripture. This is what Lucifer said in Isaiah 14, 13. You go read the, read the whole thing. This is the, the, the first part when Jesus said in the gospels, he said, you know, I'm glad that the, the demons obey you guys and do all that stuff. Let me tell you something. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Why? Because of this right here. Isaiah 14, 13 says, and I'm putting this up in the New King James because it, 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 it puts this shorter and more concise. It says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. And that's when Jesus said, I saw him fall. Boom. Like how many of those I wills do you think God let him have before? That's it. I'm done with you. You I will do this. Excuse me? Now I will do this. Are you serious? You going to, like did he do baseball? Three strikes you're out or whatever. I don't know. But he just kept on and finally it's like, I just went like, Pow! Do you think it knocked him out? Do you think it was like unconscious for a minute? Like, what just happened? And all his little cohorts that decide to fall with him look around and be like, come on, thought you said this would work. Like, what happened? Like, what do you, th- I don't know what went through his head. Obviously, he had no remorse of it, but nonetheless, this is what it is. And it was the greatest shakening, if you want to talk about shaking, of all times. In verse 12, it says this. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you have fallen. And he fell because of his wrong relationship with God. Because he thought he could be whatever he wanted to be. But what if we turn that, um, those same phrases, what if we turn them around and just changed, kept using some I in it, but just changed the context a little bit. So let's look at it now and take a look at it. So what if that, we said it this way? All right. So I will worship God when he wants me to and in the way he asks me to worship. To, see, to, do you see the difference? I'll worship God whenever I want to. You're in complete control with that statement. When I say I will worship God when he wants me to and in the way he wants me to, he's in control. Okay. So next one. I will pray to God when he needs me to pray and for what he asks me to pray for. Like sometimes my needs aren't the only things that need to be prayed for. You know? I mean, totally change the context of the statement. Number three, I will bring God his tithe and give whenever and whatever he prompts me to give. I mean, he's asked me to do stuff beyond a tithe before. And, man, I go like, oh, man, are you serious right now? Like, I mean, you know what I could do with that? Like, I'm just like you. You don't think I don't have these conversations? You think, like, I get up in the morning like, oh, it's like, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, give $100. Oh, I'm just so thrilled about it. I'll give two. No. I am just like you, and I have to put my money in its place too, just like you. I get no pass by being a minister. Zero. If anything, I think I get more, okay? I I think he puts more on me sometimes just to mess with me, okay? All right, so anyway, how about this one right here? I love this one. I will trust in what God's word says. Search my heart, oh God. Not, not God knows my heart, no. Search my heart, oh God. As David would say, search my heart. It's a great prayer. 
Because it is all matter of the heart, and God does, he does know that. But let me ask you this last question. Is your heart in the approach? So, this is the, again, this is how it started up Lucifer's proclamation. It, verse, uh, Isaiah 14, 13. For you have said in your heart, I will, I will, I will. That's what Lucifer said. He didn't say it out loud. Start out with a thought. Which is why we are told in Scripture to take every thought captive. Because thoughts turn into conversations. And conversations turn into beliefs. And beliefs begin to turn into action. And actions then turn into habits. Habits then turn into strongholds. And strongholds, once they're in full effect, are difficult to break. Better to get hold of the thought first before you have to deal with a stronghold. Y'all got me, right? So he says, for you have said in your heart, I will, I will, I will. <laughs> he didn't say it out loud, but he said it in his heart. So let me ask you a question this morning. Is my heart in the approach? I'm landing the plane. I'm coming in. Is my heart in what it is I'm doing? When I come to worship this morning, is my heart in it? It doesn't mean, and, and this is the thing, the phrase, whenever you talk about heart, people love this. Like, have <laughs> you ever heard this before? Like, well, you don't judge me. Don't judge my heart. Like, you know, okay, you little whiny baby. Like, you know, I still say, that's just so silly. Anyone who says that, right? You know it, right? Anyone who says, don't judge me, there's a reason they're saying it. Uh-huh. And why should I not judge you? Well, because I, blah, 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 blah. And they'll just tell themselves right there. Don't judge me. I love famous, most hilarious phrase right now in modern day living. Don't judge me. Anyway. You want to do it just for fun? Look at your neighbor right now and tell me, don't you judge me. You know, it'll, it'll make them laugh. You know, okay, so anyway, so <clears throat> is your heart in the approach? Look at this in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. I have these conversations with my kids for a reason about this. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, do not look, this is David, don't look on his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have re- or rejected him. Referring, this is referring to David's older brother, okay? Don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so this is where people get this idea that, well, God looks at my heart, he knows my heart. And what they were doing is looking for the next king. And they were looking at, uh, Samuel's looking at, and he sees the oldest brother, he's the strongest, most handsome, and all that kind of stuff. He's first in line, he should be king. And God is saying, don't look at him because he's tall, big, and strong. That doesn't make him a king. He chose David who was tending his, the, his father's sheep on the backside of the, the mountain over there. And what he's saying is, I don't look on the outward appearance like you do. Man, humans, we all look on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so people take this and they say, well, it don't matter. God loves my heart. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying we get a pass because God knows our heart. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this. I tell my kids all the time, um, yes, you can wear whatever you want to wear. You can do whatever you want to do in life. Yes, absolutely. But people will make assumptions on you based on what? You're wearing. If you go in for an interview, now they got them holy jeans, they're kind of cute, and they like to be cute, whatever else. I, say, I don't care. I let them wear it at church. I, it don't matter to me. Now, if we're going out for somewhere like, you know, if it's, if it's we got to dress up, if we're going to a wedding, they're not wearing their holy jeans to a wedding. You know what I'm saying? They're going to wear nice dresses or whatever. Because whether you like it or not, and you, this is something we just need to get over. People make assumption based on what you show up with. If you go for an interview and you're in holy jeans, hats on sideways, I'm like, what's up? I want a job. You're probably not going to get a job. Well, you might today because <laughs> for a week, we'll see how you do. Right now, I just need a warm body, you know. But in most cases, you won't get a job. Like it or not, well, that's not fair. See, that's the problem today. It's not fair. Don't judge me. 
It ain't fair. I have my rights. What? We're the whinest. The whining is, is that even a word? Nation in the world today, right now. And, and here's the thing. See, the problem is we think it's freedom. But freedom isn't the definition that we've used today in our culture. And it's getting mixed over into Christianity. Freedom gives me, I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. Freedom, I was in the other day, we went to a store, I won't say the name because I've tried to, because not the clerk's position, it was the policy of the store's position. And I'm going to wrap up with this last couple of thought here, okay? So, um, we're in the store, and I'm walking by, and they're on display, let's see how I can do this without giving away the store, uh, they're on the display is a, an item with the four-letter word on it that none of us want to see, or our kids to see. And it's not poop, okay? Just saying, that's, that's, I can deal with that with my kids, all right? They've seen Despicable Me, it's okay. <laughs> that's all right. But it's the, it's the F-bomb, you know. And here's what's so sad about it. Um, it's in a place where the kids' toys area, you have to walk right by it to get to the kids' part. Little kids' stuff. Here's the F-bomb. And so... My other kid's with me, and I'm like, ah, man, you know. Sometimes I don't know why I do what I do. I just don't. I, I just can't leave it alone, you know. And so I, I just take the item and turn it on the side. I'm like, nobody wants to see this. I don't even understand. I wish there was some law against these guys that run around with their trucks and put the F-bomb on the truck. Maybe you don't like the president. I don't care. It, it, shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be a right to walk around with profanity on a car. Just because you don't like somebody. Or symbols that show that word. It's just ridiculous. Well, I have my freedom. Well, so does my kids. I just, don't they have any freedom? So I'm, I'm talking to the clerk and I say, hey, you know, um, well, this item over here, I kind of turn it on the side. It's kind of embarrassing. You walk by and there's my kids and they see this. And the clerk says to me, well, what are you talking about? This, this item over here, it's. The F-bomb right going down by my, the kids are, my littlest one is playing. I don't want her to see that. I mean, is there not some kind of, I mean, you know, look, I grew up around grocery stores, my grandfather grocery stores, and so there, you know, you had all the groceries, other items, there's magazines, whatever, but if it was wrong or inappropriate for kids or if it was anything, even war stuff, they had sleeves for them. Now, this is before digital. I get it. I'm dating. Y'all the guys are younger, like, what's the magazine? I know. Shut up. Leave me alone, right? So anyway, you put there were sleeves in it, and so the kids couldn't. They they knew that was off limits. Okay, all right. So I said, "Are there no sleeves for things like that?" And the clerk says to me, um, "Well, no, because adults have rights too." Which I thought I was going to have a, like a mic drop moment. <laughs> Y'all be so proud because I prayed. With all kinds of prayer in my heart that I knew. And plus my kids with me, my oldest one. So she's watching me like. <laughs> so I'm going. You know, I can't believe. And then. You know, because this is the this is their policy that the clerk's been told. All that they're doing is responding by the corporate policy. Okay. The person, the clerk says, well, you have to understand we live in a fluid generation. Like, I just, I thought, I said, uh-huh. And I said, I'm very aware of that. And if you don't know what that means, that just simply means there's no right or wrong. You be whatever you want to be, do what you want to be. Kids can be dogs, cats, and bark in the classroom. 
It don't matter anymore. And you've got to accommodate this crap. Okay? It's ridiculous. About the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And y'all know why I talk about some of this stuff so much lately? It's because it's, it's everywhere. And if we don't understand it, it doesn't mean you've got to be mean about it, but I will call it what it is. It's ridiculous. Okay, so nonetheless, I said, well, I do understand that. But I do feel like a child ought to be able to come into a place of business and not see profanity. Given that movies have restrictions, you know, my kid can't even get on certain things because of restrictions. I put on it based on ratings on the movie. It just seems like this should be, uh, shouldn't be allowed. And this individual said, well, one of our employees actually did a writing on it. I said, yeah, I saw that too, and I turned the car down on that too because this employee decided to write the same word. So it's obviously, it's so much a part of the culture there that it's okay to write about it and put it on display that I recommend this book. Drop the F-bomb. And I just thought, you know, I'm not going to win this. So I said, you know, um, I'm not one of these like goody two-shoes. I'm not trying to act like I got my stuff all straight and I'm not better than you or anything else like that. But to me, a child, an adult, yes, they should have rights and freedoms, but it shouldn't supersede a child's. And a child ought to be able to come into a place of business like this, which is very all-age, you know, open, and not see that. And, you know, I think kind of stumbled because I don't think she probably hasn't heard stuff like that. But I just wonder what would happen if more of us had conversations with people and said, hey, you know what, this isn't cool. Not cool. Uh, that this is out here. And I say that because the culture today is saying, don't judge me, don't judge my heart. And I wanted you to hear this because as a Christian, we can't go into that mindset. There are some ways we approach God that he asks for, and they are his way of doing it. And it's not what people do, and it's not what we're doing when people watch us. This one, no one else is watching. That's, that's what we're looking at right now. So, as we finished up, I talked to my kids about this, and then, you know, I thought about some of the things that Haley uh, teaches them and some of the things she shares with them. And so, as a wrap-up day, I'm going to show you this in 1 Samuel 15, 22, okay? So, Samuel is saying to them, as uh, referring to um, Saul, this is a different conversation, different person. He's talking to Saul, and he says to Saul, because Saul decided to offer his own sacrifice without Samuel, It wasn't Saul's job. Saul was a king. He was supposed to wait on the Lord and his prophet. He didn't do that. I'm just telling you, there are some things that God asks us to do that the approach really does matter. We just don't get to do whatever we want to do. So Samuel says, and Haley, you'll like this. I didn't even know this was until, this is kind of cool. So it's 1 Samuel 15, 22. It says, Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You would think, well, I, if I give today, well, that makes God happy. Well, here's, here's, a, here's, the, here's the mindset with that. What you think about it? it? When I bring the tithe, it denotes from a sentence and structure, it's not mine anyway. If I'm bringing the Lord his tithe, it don't belong to me anyway. So it's not, I'm, you just see what I'm saying? It's his. It's not mine. That's, that's on his turf. I'm not impressing him a whole lot when I do this, right? So understand, he's saying from that background, 
Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, watch this, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? For behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. So he's looking at it right now, he's talking to us about is his people to obey the word of the Lord and what God asks us to do. Now, this interesting word, real quick, obedience, it's this word from Hebrew, it's called Haley. Shema. So she tells our little one, she gave her a little Hebrew word and said, Piper, Shema. And like for some reason, this gets her like, she's like, yes, ma'am. It's like because she's ingrained this in her. It means to obey. Obey. No, Shema. <laughs> anyway, so the word Shema means to obey. Obedience, I'll put it on the screen for you. It means to follow a command or conform to its instruction. To heed, it's another Hebrew word called Kashab. It means to give attention carefully to what is said. Ultimately, it means this, reverence for God. Now, this morning, uh, you know, I don't know where you feel about this word reverence. People think of it as a fear thing of God, like, oh, I'm so afraid of God. That's not the right position. It is a reverence. It's like, this is what God's word says, so therefore, Shema. It's not, but yeah, but I don't like it. There's a lot of stuff I don't, to be honest with you, there's some things in the Bible I don't like. There are just that whole pray for your enemy thing. Is that your top 10 verses you memorize for the year? No, I don't, I'm not fond of it. As a matter of fact, when I pray for them, you know, I don't just go to my prayer closet and be like, Lord, you know what? I'm just so grateful for them. And I pray for them right now. God, just bless them. I don't do that. It takes a while. Can I, can I just be honest with you? Is that too transparent? Is that too real? <laughs> Maybe y'all do. Maybe y'all just jump in the closet and like, you know what, that person just, they hate my guts and Lord, I'm going to pray for them and bless them, Lord. I, great. That's wonderful. Help me out and, you know, with mine, all right? But nonetheless, there are some things I don't like in here, but Shema, out of reverence for God, obey the word of the Lord. Because it's too easy to get doing the things of God and we forget the reason why we're doing it. So in Mark 12, in verse 30, uh, 33, it says, Love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and the loved one's neighbor as himself is much more than all the burnt offerings. This came from a religious leader. He understood to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength was more important than our sacrifices and our giving and the stuff we do for God. The Shema. Just to obey the word of the Lord. As much as God appreciates all that we do for him, I'm going to show you this, this verse here, and then I'm going to pray for you. This is from Psalm 111. Now watch this. I'm going to put it on the screen for you because um, I want it to, to kind of reflect um, it, kind of exactly the words here so you can see it. But Psalm 111, verse 10, God wants you more than anything else, guys. And watch this. It says this, that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, it means to have reverence for it. It's not to be afraid. Now, the priests did, and there are a number of priests that got drug out. You've heard these stories before, because they, they did not reverence God in the way in which he wanted to be approached in the temple. It's a very serious thing, and, which is why the Bible tells us things like, for those of us in ministry, we're judged with a much stricter judgment than you. We just are. It, it, just the way it is, man. I mean, I'm just up here telling you stuff from the Bible. I better know what I'm talking about, or at least have at least a really good idea. Because you're not going to be judged by that. I am. 
doesn't mean God doesn't love me. It doesn't mean God's not for me. It doesn't mean God doesn't welcome me into heaven. It just means conversations at the end of my life will be, oh, you know, you said that, you preached that. That's not what I said. Hopefully my that's what I said outweighs my that's what I didn't say. But nonetheless, that's a real thing. It's a heavy thing for us. Reference. So he says, the fear of the Lord is reverence for God right here. It is the beginning, or watch this, the foundation of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments and his praise endures forever. So as Bruce comes out and plays for us, I'm going to pray for you, but listen to me right now. Do you see this up here and what it says? Reverence. I'm going to put this back on the screen for you guys so you can see it. The fear of the Lord, reverence for God, is the beginning or the foundation. If you feel shaken today, if you feel like you don't know which way to go and things are upside down, I know this sounds a bit like, well, is there not a, I'm struggling and I have anxiety, financial need, I've got health issue, I've got the family issue, i got a work issue. I got real stuff, man. I, I got, those are all real things. And I'm not putting those to the side, but I'm trying to help you this morning. What is the, when you look at this, this is the beginning or the foundation of wisdom. If there's stuff in your life being shaken right now and you're feeling, oh man, like an airplane on an approach and you're getting blown this way and that way and this way and that way and you're having a hard time just landing the plane. Can I just encourage you to go back to the word of the Lord? What has God said? And reestablish that foundation of reverence for the Lord. So that when the winds do come, as Jesus said, and the floods do happen, as Jesus said, when you build your house on the rock, it will stand. It doesn't mean the storms won't come, guys. Can we tell you something right now? It's... I'm praying for those people. It is tragic right now to look at all of the destruction on the planet. I mean, famines, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, hurricanes, wildfires, you name it, pick it. Everything that Jesus said to pay attention to is happening right now. And I don't mean to say that by like, I think he's coming next week or next year. I don't, I can't say because the Bible says no man knows. But he does say this, people who have wisdom look around and they know what season they're in. I was so nice this morning to get up. I went let the, our chickens out this morning. It was like 7 in the morning, I think, something like when I went out there. The sun's creeping up over the thing, like, oh, they're ready to get out now. So I'm all going out there. Hadn't even made my coffee yet. I step out the door expecting, like, a blast of humidity and sweat, you know. Like, oh, I dread this. I go out and it's like... I met with crisp, low humidity, fall-like weather. What is this that I have not seen in four months? Oh, it's so nice breathing in, you know. What? Now today it may be 100 degrees. I don't know when we go outside. But what does that tell you? You know fall's coming. You know by the, you can sense it in the air. You don't even have to, even if it's hot, you can feel it just has a different feel because you know the season's changing. Could we just be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves this morning? You don't have to be over-religious and one of these crazy people. 
But you ought to know the season that you're in. You ought to know the season that you're in. And if you're shaking right now, if you're really bothered by what you're seeing, can I encourage you to go back to what does Jesus say and just read some things and reestablish your life on the foundation of his word for whatever thing you're faced with right now. So I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to do that for me this week. And ask you, as, as we pray, consider the people that are around you that you can invite in September. And if you're sensing a shaking right now, if, you're, if you feel like so many things have been shaken in your life, and you're a believer, can you imagine what it must feel like for somebody who does not know Jesus? How much fear that they have right now. So I want to pray for you right now. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment? Dear Lord, I just come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that you're so good to us. Lord, that your mercy endures forever. Lord, I thank you that you're always good. God, and what we see today and what we hear today and the things that have got our attention, Lord, they are so, could be so confusing if we focus on that. But I thank you, Lord, that, that every person here right now, whatever they're faced with, whatever situation they see, Holy Spirit, will you help us this morning get our eyes back on you? Would you help us to seek your face, Lord, and seek your word? God, to not be afraid, not to be in fear, to not allow the world to to get us in a place where we can't move for you. But God, help us to stay steadfast on your word. Lord, to help right now, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would strengthen the spirit of every person in this room. That we might be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That God, you do what you did for Joshua, that you give us courage, Lord, to stand strong and see the salvation of the Lord. I just pray right now against every fear that has been present, maybe in someone's life this week. For whatever fears come against them, maybe it's something they can't control, they can't fix. In Jesus' name, right now, you declare to us that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, Lord, I just pray clarity of mind right now in Jesus' name. Those that are confused right now, you do not give us a confusing spirit. You give us a spirit that is bold, that's courageous, that is steadfast on your word, Lord. And so if it's confusion, it's not of you, Lord. So in Jesus' name, we pray against that, that if there's anybody here right now that they're confused, don't know what to do, do not know the step to take. In Jesus' name, we just pray and ask you to stop that in the name of Jesus and that you give them clarity of mind and give them the soundness of thinking. God, we pray against worry right now for those in the room that they're worried about the future. Lord, you said in your word, God, not to fear, not to be afraid of the future. To trust in you, Lord. Do not even worry about tomorrow because tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. But God, take today. We thank you, Lord, for today that you've given us. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. I just pray for the joy of the Lord to be filled in every person's heart right now. For those that are weak right now in their spirit. For those that came in weak and wondering what's next. In Jesus' name, I pray that you'd give them the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. And God, I just pray for them and ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, for those that are in this room right now, that don't know you, that have no relationship with you, or they came in today seeking your face, God, and asking for you, God, to meet them here this morning. If they don't know you right now, in Jesus' name, I'm going to pray for them, Lord, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to their hearts right now in this room and those watching online. If you're in here or watching online right now, 
All eyes are closed. No one's going to call you out. No one's going to embarrass you, but you're here. We're going to pray a prayer together. The whole church will pray with you in just a moment. The scriptures say if a man or woman believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Meaning this, you believe that Jesus died for your sins. You believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he ever stands today, sits before on the right hand of the Father, and he ever intercedes for you and I. Right now, you believe that. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now, and he promises you salvation. Whole church is going to pray with you. Just repeat this after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today, and I ask you to save me and to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Man, if you pray that prayer, we're so proud of you, right, church? Give me a hand, would you? So proud of you. So listen, man, on the, on the screen there or in the seat back in front of you, there's a little thing we have called connect.cornerstonerome.com. We'd love to help you get started walking with the Lord and help you to um, in any way you need. And also, if you're a guest with us, we'd love to make a contact with you. As Gary comes up, he's going to close out the, the rest of the service today. But we'd love to make a contact with you if you're a guest. Man, we'd love to say hello, give you some information about the church, answer any questions you might have, help you in your, in your next steps here at the church or whatever you might need in Jesus' name. So take a moment to fill that out for us. As Gary comes up, would you guys welcome him this morning? Thank you. You know, I just, so many Sundays I get the, the privilege of coming up here and kind of closing the service and talk to you about giving and everything else. And I was thinking that verse in First Samuel is talking about that obedience is, is greater than sacrifice. God honors that more than he does sacrifice. And so many times I think we think of giving and tithing as sacrifice. We're giving up our money and bringing it to the church. And that's the total opposite of what tithing is. And Malachi talks about bringing the tithe to the storehouse. It's not ours. And that's a matter of the heart. I think that was really a good message that Pastor had today. You can take that about tithing. And if you're not a giving person, I think the, the church, the local church, is where the tithe should be brought to. Um, I challenge you this week to go back and think about that, um, how you regard your money and how you regard your giving. Is it I'm sacrificing, I'm giving my money back to the church, or am I bringing God's portion back to the church? Um, it really makes you think when you do that. So we make it really easy for you. If you do tithe, then you do give. Um, we can. We have offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary here as you leave. You can give online. You can text to give, all different sorts of ways to do that. We're just thankful for your generosity. And, I, and when I talk about tithing, you know, in Malachi, it talks about when we do that, when we obey God, bring the tithe into the storehouse, that he pours out his blessing. Not just blesses us, he pours it out on us. And I can't promise you that if you start, if you haven't tithed, the next week you start tithing, that you're going to get raises and bonuses. But I've seen it over and over in this congregation and people here that God will pour out the blessing upon you if you begin to obey him and to give according to his word. So... Enough said about that this week. Our prayer partners are going to come up front. If you guys need to pray with anybody after service, these folks are up here for you, available. Make sure as you leave today, if you have not signed up for a small group, at least stop by one of these tables out here. Check out some of the small group leaders. Ask them what they're doing in their small group. They'd love to have you there. It starts this week. Don't just run out the door. Take a minute and talk to those folks as well. So God bless you. Have a great week. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.